Thanks for listening to this audio sermon from the pulpit of Covenant Presbyterian Church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee, a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America. You can learn more about us by visiting our website, www.covenant-pca.com. God's holy and errant word. And let's read together from Acts chapter 8. We'll read again as we did last week, verses 26 through 40. And look at those give ear as God speaks to us. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah, the prophet, and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, How can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away. From the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Grass withers and the flower fades. The word of our God endures forever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we do ask you now to illumine our minds that we can see these wonderful words of life. Let us hear your voice speak clearly to our own souls. We might not leave this place as we've come, Lord, but as we've prayed already, we might leave this place more like our dear, dear Savior, Jesus Christ. And we pray this in his wonderful name. Amen. Well, let me mention the historical context. Stephen's been stoned to death for, for speaking the gospel in the public square. Saul is on the rage. He's, he's, he's on the rampage. He's raging Judea, Samaria, everywhere. He's dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. We read that in 
verse 3 of chapter 8. We're going to see as soon as we finish this, we'll pick up right there. Verse 1 of chapter 9, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the, the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. The reason for mentioning that is that all of this is going on during a time of persecution. One man is orchestrating it very well, very successfully. But it's not deterring the going forth of the gospel. In fact, you'll remember, it was because of the persecution that the people are scattered and the gospel's going forth. The early Christians didn't go hide when they were persecuted. They went out and spoke the gospel to others. Last week we saw in this chapter, same portion, same men, Philip and the, the Ethiopian, their predicament, both of Philip being put there in this situation to preach the gospel to this one man. Now this, this is a region, as I said last week, and there's a hint in the text, verse 26 the end of 26, this is a desert place. It's not just a desert place as the weather goes, but it was a deserted, a deserted place as the people go. This was no longer an inhabited region. This, this place was desolate. This, this man had, uh, had taken a route that was not traveled. And uh, Philip finds him there in the middle of nowhere, as we would put it. And uh, the man had to be shocked to death to see somebody. Uh, uh, you know, people speculate, and I'm sure there's probably been sermons preached on their speculation about, you know, this man must have been a very spiritual man. He was probably an, or, you know, probably an early monk wanting a, 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 a place removed so he could set up. No, that's, he just, we don't know why he took this route. We just know he did. And we know it was, a, was a, it was a place out of the way and he would have been surprised to see Philip there. But nevertheless, he did because God put Philip there. Very clearly stated in verse 26. We not only saw the predicament of Philip being there, but the man's own predicament. He's gone to Jerusalem to worship. This is not uncommon for people to get up and go to church and, and not have any spiritual any spiritual connection to the worship that they're, they're performing or the acts of worship. And this man is doing that in Jerusalem. He goes out of a good deal of dedication because he can't go into the temple. He's a eunuch. And so he, there's no place for him there. Uh, and so he goes and he's worshiping. Uh, but he doesn't know really what he's worshiping. He's, he's not much better off, if any better off, than the people we're going to read about later in Acts chapter 17 who have an, uh, this idol set up to an unknown God. So if they can, they can worship all the gods and try not to miss any, so none of the gods would be angry with them. Well, he's, he's not any better off than them, really, and we see why, because he doesn't know Christ. He's reading the scripture and his senses are dull. His understanding's not there. He doesn't know what this scripture passage is about. It's a passage from Isaiah 53. You know that as, as the great suffering servant passage. We've seen all through the Old Testament, we start with those little bitty pictures back in Genesis 3 concerning the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. And then we move on and we, we learn about the priesthood and we learn about the prophet, Moses. There's going to be one greater than him. We've already seen that fulfilled in Jesus Christ. 
we move to David and he's the great king and there's going to be a king that comes and sits on the throne forever and that's King Jesus. Then the prophets tell us all sorts of things that we should know about the Messiah, where he's going to be born. And then chapter 53 is a marvelous chapter because it tells us he's going to suffer and die for us and that he's going to save many. It's not going to be a, it's not going to be a haphazard death. He's going to die with specific people in mind. As one of our covenant children recently said, he died on the cross thinking about us, thinking about all of his people for whom he went there to die. That's pretty special, isn't it? There's no generic death here. He died in Isaiah's words to save many. He was led to the slaughter like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. And so the predicament of this man is he can't understand this. As Jesus tells Nicodemus, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom and you can't enter the kingdom. This man couldn't see the kingdom. He was looking at the book of the king, but he couldn't see the kingdom. And so that was his predicament. And it's every man's predicament apart from the work of the Holy Spirit in their life. Now today what I want to see is what we came to last week, and, and that's how does God do this? What is, if you will, the program? We saw the predicament. We saw the purpose of God was to save this man and is to save. Jesus says that he came to seek and to save that which is lost. That's the purpose, the saving purpose of God. Now, how does he do that? What's the, the program? And it's, it's in this passage as well, and I want us to see it. There's, there's three things here that happen in every person's life. This is the way God goes about saving lost men and women like this Ethiopian. And the first is this, that God providentially, or through his providence, brings his chosen into contact with God's word. The providence of God brings his chosen into contact with God's word. That's the way God does it. John chapter 6 tells us that the Father draws men to himself. He draws us to himself in a number of ways. He acts providentially to put us in places where we will hear the gospel. John Dick, the 19th century Scottish theologian, Presbyterian churchman, said this, the passage which he was reading, verses 32 and 33 in our present text, Isaiah 53, 7 and 8, is where it comes from. The passage which he was reading when joined, Philip joined him was the most appropriate which could have been found in the Old Testament for explaining to him the character and the religion of Christ. And so Philip begins there. But more about that in a moment. We just profess that we believe, we confess that we believe that God does uphold, direct, dispose, and govern all creatures' actions and things from the greatest to the least. God directed, disposed, and governed this issue as well. We've seen it. We've read it. God took Philip from his place, put him down there in no man's land, and here's this man sitting there in a chariot. And guess what? He's reading a scroll of Isaiah. 
That's another problem. How did he come to have that? He's Ethiopian. Well, he's been to Jerusalem. Probably went to the bookstore there and bought a scroll. I guess it would be a scroll store. And, uh, or one of the people there gave it to him and said, Here, read this on the way back. It's a long trip. You're going need to need to have some reading material with you. So he takes it and he reads it and he, he doesn't know what it means. It's foreign to his ears. God ordinarily, as, as we confessed earlier, makes use of various means. And the most ordinarily, or the means most ordinarily used by God for salvation of his people is the preaching of his word, as we see unfolding here as well. So God moves, if you will. He he, he moves things around. He shuffles things. He brings people into place for their good. I was just reminded this week of this. Um, Beth Paul, who we prayed for earlier, and most all of you who are members will have seen an email or some sort of note about Beth's fall and, and the subsequent surgery. And, and she was just saying, she said, you know, who would have thought that the doctor on call when I went into the hospital was an orthopedic doctor? I said, boy, you got lucky, didn't you? And she said, no. She knew I was joking, of course. I said, what a wonderful providence of God that the doctor on call would be the right one so that nobody would mess with your wrist and aggravate it worse. Right? I mean, just a wonderful, you know, God does this for his people. And for those who are his chosen from eternity and yet having not heard the gospel, he brings into their, into their very presence often people with the gospel on their lips. Or with the, the Bible open and reading. God, by his providence brings people to hear the preaching of the word, to hear the telling of the word in men like Stephen and women who love him and speak of him often. But there's something else necessary. It doesn't matter if God arranges things to where you cross paths with a godly person to hear the gospel preached, whether you bring, uh, uh, God brings you into contact with someone and you bring them into the worships, worship hall and we're here and the gospel's preached doesn't matter if they're still like the Ethiopian, if they don't have ears to hear it. Right? I mean, he's been reading God's word. And it wouldn't have mattered if Philip had come and preached the word to him if God hadn't have predisposed his heart to it. Now, in the, in the New Testament, we call that regeneration. That's what regeneration is, is the Holy Spirit predisposing a heart to the gospel. So that when we hear it, we love it, we want it, we believe it. If he hadn't predisposed this Ethiopian's heart to this message from Philip, he'd have been just as confused after the preaching as he was with the reading of it. He would have gone away not knowing Christ. The Spirit is the one that does that. We see that in John chapter 3. Unless you're born of water and spirit, 
And then lest Nicodemus gets confused and thinks there's something to the water thing, uh, Christ repeats and says, just simply, unless you're born of the Spirit. In Titus chapter 3, it's referred to as the washing uh, and regeneration of the Holy Spirit. It's the washing, clean by the Holy Spirit, changes our heart. It's that which Ezekiel spoke of, isn't it? Where that heart of stone would be taken out and a heart of flesh would be put in. And guess what? When God, puts the, when God the Spirit puts that heart of flesh in us, that new heart, it's full of gifts. He doesn't put an empty box in there. He doesn't put an empty piece of flesh in us. He puts, a, he puts this, this wonderful, regenerated, new heart in us, and it's got faith and repentance in it. So that when the gospel is preached, we can then believe it. When the gospel calls us to repent of sin and turn away, we can repent and turn away. And so, the predisposing of hearts by the Holy Spirit. If God had simply brought this man into the path of Philip and he hadn't changed his heart already, nothing would have happened. He would have left in his chariot just like he sat there reading, confused and dead. That's why we ought to always pray, and I hope you do pray, that as we come into this place, that not only will your hearts be open to the Word of God so that you can grow in grace, but also pray for me that as I preach, that the truth will be preached clearly and, and, and in a way that can be effective and used by the Holy Spirit. And thirdly, pray that anyone seated in this room during the preaching of the Word would hear it, and if they've never believed, that they trust in the Christ that set forth and believe and be saved, have everlasting life. So I hope you pray those prayers before, before you come on Sunday morning. I covet them. I know that others seated around you will as well. Regeneration of the Holy Spirit. We're going to see this again, but let's go ahead and look at it. Turn to Acts chapter 16. This is just a very simple way of saying what I've just said concerning the necessity of the Holy Spirit working in someone's heart. We'll break into the middle of this passage in Acts 16. Look at verse 14. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. Same situation spiritually as the Ethiopian. Now notice what it says. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. What took place first? The Lord opened her heart. Now don't pass over that and say, well, that just meant that she finally decided she wanted to trust in Jesus. It's not what it says. The Lord opened her heart. A dead person does not possess the ability to move their fingers to a key and open their heart. Only the Lord can do that. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. She then believes the gospel. That's 
that's the ellipsis between 14 and 15, and then was baptized, and her household as well was baptized. But the apostles' preaching wouldn't have been effective in her life if the Lord had not opened her heart. So we ought to be praying for our lost family members, for our lost loved ones, that the Lord would open their heart. Some of you have friends and, and loved ones that it's like, it's like a rock. Then when you speak the gospel or, or anyone around you speaks the gospel, it's like it's just like they've got this, they're a Teflon-coated rock and it just kind of runs off, right? Or, or it bounces off. It's because it's a heart of stone. The heart's not been opened. The heart's not been changed by God. That's the explanation. That shouldn't throw us into a great theological disturbance that I don't understand this. They've sat and listened to the same preaching I have and they don't seem to be changed by it. The heart's not been opened. That's the explanation. So we pray and ask the Lord to open hearts, change hearts, so that when the gospel is preached, it'll be effective. You've, you've known people perhaps for years heard the gospel, never seemed to have an effect upon them, then suddenly something happens. What changed? Well, the pastor didn't get any better, perhaps. The message might not have been as good that particular day. I, I, I've, I've heard these testimonies all my life of, you know, pastors stepping down from the pulpit and, leaving and just totally disgusted thinking that has to be the worst sermon ever preached in the history of the world and God wonderfully uses it to save individuals to, to build up saints to restore saints that have fallen into sin and just think that was the greatest sermon they've ever heard when homiletically the pastor knows that that was one of the worst sermons he's ever ever put together what's the explanation for that the Lord opened their heart. Every pastor can attest to this, standing out there, out here somewhere, and someone comes by and says, you know, of everything you said today, this part right here was the most important to me. It really, it really helped me. And they then tell you what you said, and you didn't say it. I tell you, it's a marvelous thing. I've done this, going back and checked. Well, I don't think I said that. I know it's not in these notes. I don't keep very thick notes, but I don't think I added that to the notes. I, so I've gone back and listened. It wasn't said. Guess what? The Lord opened their heart. The Lord took what the pitiful preacher said and made it applicable and effectual to that heart. That's what's going on here. The Lord has predisposed the Ethiopian's heart so that he can hear what, what Philip says and be saved. Well, just a note on that. You see the passage, like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. The passage clearly a prophecy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice what it says down in verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. So he started there, and then he went from there. 
don't you guess he jumped right into other passages in the Old Testament and said, you know, we're told in the Minor Prophets that there was going to be a man born of a virgin. And he was going to be born in Bethlehem. And he goes on. Do, 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 just. And then he jumps into the New Testament and says, now, look what happened. Here's this man, born of a virgin, born here. He did this, lived a perfect life, died a sacrificial death, was raised on the third day. Beginning with this text, he preached Christ and him crucified. And the man was saved. Well, this leads us to the third point today providence of God in bringing people into touch with the gospel, the, uh, the predisposing, the necessity of the Holy Spirit predisposing men's hearts so that those who have been chosen from eternity can believe in time and space, and then the propagation of disciples is the work of the church. Philip has come out of the church in Jerusalem and doing the work. We saw back in, in, in the first part here when Simon had, 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 had professed a belief and then turns out to be a bogus belief, but the apostles come out of Jerusalem to, to aid Philip in his ministry. Philip is on mission of the church. He's doing just what Jesus commanded the church to do. Go make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them all I've commanded you. That's what's happening here. We saw last week, we're going to do this in Jerusalem, Jesus said. We're going to do this in Samaria and Judea, Jesus said. And we're going to do it to the end of the earth. And this man is that, is that breaking the ice for the end of the earth because he's from the end of the earth. We're going to see this particularly just in big, vivid colors with Cornelius in just a few, few passages away for us. First priority here is making the disciple preaching the gospel to him. But you see then immediately what comes next. We've already touched on this. I'm not going to spend time on, on the preaching of the gospel. We've just summarized what the gospel is. You know how important it is. We know from Romans chapter 10 that faith comes from hearing and hearing from the preaching of the word. And how are they going to hear unless we send the gospel out there? We send preachers to them. That's why we support the sending of, of men to go preach the gospel in different parts of the world. That's why we do it here. So preaching the gospel to people like Stephen did in Acts 7 where he was just, just going about his business and talking about Jesus. And now Philip the formal preaching of the gospel. That's the first priority. It's preaching the gospel. The spirit predisposing hearts, God orchestrating the meetings, and the preacher preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then, notice what happens next. As they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, now let me stop here. Many commentators remark that here we've, we've got something going on here between 35 and 36 that suggests to us that Philip's been riding along with him for a while. In fact, this, this was probably a pretty long sermon. 
they've advanced way on down the road by now. And the Ethiopian keeps asking questions and Philip keeps going to the scriptures and telling him what the scriptures say about this. And no doubt, as he's preached the gospel, the good news about Jesus, one of the things he's told him is, you know what? You're a foreigner. You've never been circumcised. Impossible for you. After all, you're a eunuch. You've never been brought in the covenant community. You need to be. You need to be baptized. You're now a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to be baptized. Why does Luke not include that here? Uh, in, in verse 35 that he preached him the good news uh, and told him that he needed to repent, be baptized for the forgiveness of his sins because Luke's already said that back in Acts chapter 2 verse 38 and 39. He doesn't, Luke's pretty economical. He doesn't repeat a lot. He just figures we're keeping up with the story. And here it is, the story is you preach Christ, people repent and they're to be baptized and so Philip would have preached that to him. And so the man sees some water. Now this is remarkable. This is another one of the, the providences of God. There's water in a desert. And as every scholar comments, whatever water was there, there wasn't much. We're not talking about a nice big old lake. Yesterday we enjoyed a nice drive in the afternoon up to Cove Lake. Hadn't done that before. Beautiful little spot up there. We could just shut the interstate down for a while to get the noise level down. It'd be wonderful beyond the beauty. But we're sitting there and there's the lake. No water like that out here in the desert. And so he says, here's water. What keeps me from being baptized? Now at that point I need to make a note. Some of you are reading translations other than the ESV or the New International Version or the, uh, uh, any of the other recent ones, if you're reading the New American Standard or the Authorized Version, the New King James, you have a verse 37. And if you're reading the ESV or the NIV, you have a, a note there that sends you down to some marginalia, and it says that some manuscripts, later manuscripts of the Greek, add some or most of this verse, and it reads like this. Philip said when, to the question, here's water, what prevents me from being baptized? And there is a, a questionable verse as to whether it belongs in the, in the Scripture or not, and it reads like this. And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he replied, I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And then verse 38 picks up. There's a command to stop the chariot, and they go down the water. Now, Whether that verse is in there or not, it doesn't matter. That mean, what I mean by that doesn't matter for the theology of it. Most, most scholars think that that was a later edition, verse 37, because some scribe along the way said, you know, we better put this in to be sure everybody knows that he believed in Jesus in order to be baptized. And back to my point with Luke, Luke doesn't feel compelled to do that because he's already said that's the process. You repent, and then you're baptized. You believe, and then you're baptized. And so most of scholars now think that probably verse 37, as it resides in the authorized version, commonly called the King James, or the New King James, 
doesn't really have a place in the, in the earliest manuscripts of the Greek. But as you see, whether I'm preaching from the, the perspective that verse 37 is in there or from the perspective that it's not, it's the same message. Philip preached to this man Jesus Christ. He had to believe in Jesus Christ. He had to repent of his sins and trust in Jesus Christ and then be baptized, just as Jesus said to be. So they stopped the chariot, and they both went down into the water. Now follow me here closely. They both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the point here is that there was some amount of water and they got out of the chariot and, and, and went down into it. Both of them. And they both came up out of it. Now the reason I'm pressing this is because there have been people in the past who have made this a verse to justify total submersion or immersion as the mode of baptism. Well, if that's the case, if that's the case here, Philip immersed himself as well as the Ethiopian. And then they both came up out of the water and they walked up to the chariot. That's not the point here. Mode of baptism is not before us here in this text. Simply the fact that Philip did administer baptism to this man and they both came up and got in the chariot or the Ethiopian does and then Spirit of God took Philip away from him. Those are two uh, somewhat technical points that need to be covered in this because there's so often uh, a question. If you omit reading that verse 37, does that change the reading? You see, no. And, of course, this passage, as I've just shown quickly, doesn't pertain to the mode of baptism. It just simply speaks to the fact of baptism. Philip would have been acting on behalf of the church to bring this man into the membership of the church. That's what God calls us to. As we saw back in our study of John, we're saved to worship God. We're saved to worship God in the context of the church. God doesn't save us to be independent. God doesn't save us to be renegades out doing our own thing. He saves us and places us in His church under the sign of the covenant, namely baptism, to worship Him in spirit and in truth. That's the program of the church. We're making disciples. How do you make disciples? Baptizing them and then teaching them all the Lord's commanded. So, we make a big deal about those things. We make a big deal about baptism. We make a big deal about the Lord's Supper. We make a big deal about reading and preaching God's Word. Because that's what Jesus made a big deal of. And that you see what the early church made a big deal of. Those very simple things, those very elements. As we saw at the end of chapter 2, they were serious about these, these elements, these simple elements. And it brought great, great success. Every time we read of them, doing what God's told them and nothing more, what does it say? And God added to their numbers. And God added to their numbers. God will bless those who 
honor him. So, we're to preach the scriptures so that all of God's elect from all eternity may believe. We baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and we teach them. Teach them in the context of the church. You know, the church has always been, often been referred to as the mother of believers. It's a place where, where believers are nurtured. It's also at times been referred to as, as like a, a greenhouse, a hothouse, where, where little seedlings are, are taken good care of and cultivated and fertilized and built up. And guess what happens? When they're big enough and mature enough, they're put out in the orchard. And guess what they do then? They bear fruit, don't they? So, so we here, we're, we're here in a hothouse. We're here in a little greenhouse, as it were. We're being built up, nurtured by God's truth. And then we go out to bear fruit. So the predicament of the eunuch, as we saw last week, is that of every man. It's hopeless, helpless. The purpose of God is to save all his people from their sins. And the program for doing that is the program of the church, to make disciples, baptize them, teach them. And so we have to ask ourselves, you know, have, have we been faced, have we reckoned with our predicament? Have, have we come into contact with the preaching of the gospel? See, now everybody in this place this morning has at least come in contact with the preaching of the gospel. Back to that first question. Have we reckoned with our predicament? Do we recognize that we're helpless and hopeless in need of a Savior? Doomed without the Savior. And then the thing we've seen today is, is the program. What a wonderful thing it is, God, to give us His church, to give us the preaching, to providentially bring us into contact with it, to predispose our hearts to it, and then to unite us to the church so that we can grow in grace all the days of our lives. Obviously, when the scriptures say God loved us, uh, they're not, uh, not speaking falsehood. They're not speaking something that you can't grasp. You can, you can grasp the love of God. You begin to realize all that He does for us, past, present, and all He's promised to do future. Let's, let's praise Him for that. Let's trust Him. Let's put our faith where it ought to be, in the one true God and in the Son, Jesus Christ, who saves us from our sins. Father, we do thank You and ask You now to bless Your Word, the preaching of Your Word, that we might love You, we might bless Your holy name as we leave this place. Father, if there's any who, who realize their predicament for the first time, that they're like this Ethiopian, they're... They're hopeless. They're lost. They don't understand what the Word says. They, they've needed you to open their hearts, and you've done that today. Father, we pray that their faith in Christ would be now a matter of great joy for them. And we look forward to hearing of it. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Philip set the cross before the very face of this Ethiopian. Let's, let's sing about it. When I... Thanks again for listening to this audio sermon from the pulpit of Covenant Presbyterian Church. These sermons are provided for the edification of church members who wish to hear the sermons again, and for those who are providentially hindered from attending our